Sunday after Easter where we had eight people in person and one person online who dedicated their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ last week. We are excited about that. That's, that's what this is all about. Amen. So, so we are, uh, we're going to be getting back into this, this study. Uh, just in case you're new, just as a reminder, this book is written by Jesus' little brother. Imagine being the guy that shared a bedroom with the Lord Jesus Christ. He saw Jesus grow up. He saw Jesus live his entire 33 years. He died on the cross. He watched him rise from the dead, return back to heaven. And once Jesus showed himself to his little brother James, James believed in him and jumped right into ministry telling everybody about his big brother. And for James... Christianity isn't about a bunch of rules to follow. It's about practical life, and that's why I like the book. The book of James happens to be my favorite book in the Bible, and that's why we're taking time to study it because James gives us a lot of interactive, practical ways that we can live out our faith. I'm probably not going to be preaching to anybody in this room this morning with what we're going to talk about in James chapter 3. Uh, but it will affect your neighbor, and it probably you'll probably have some, some kinfolk that you can uh, take this word to. I'm sure it won't affect anybody, because you're all Holy Ghost people and people of faith, and, and you've got your, your act together, and most importantly, you've got your mouths on check. I do covet your prayers. I'm leaving from uh, service this morning. Uh, this is the first of seven sermons that I'm going to preach in the next five days. So I'm going to be doing two revivals at, before I get back here next Sunday. Uh, I start tonight in Charleston. And uh, yeah, go ahead. I, I, I pray that you'll help me pray, be holding me up in prayer. Uh, pray. I haven't preached that much in that short period of time in a minute. So uh, pray for me, but also pray for effectiveness. I want to see souls saved and revival brought to the two churches. I'm preaching in uh, Charleston, West Virginia at the Church of God there from tonight until Wednesday. And then I'm coming back up the interstate and I'm stopping in Morgantown. I'm doing a regional camp meeting there in Morgantown Thursday night and Friday night. So uh, be, be, be praying for me. I haven't preached that much uh, in, in a while uh, in that shorter period of time. But I'm excited. I feel like the Lord's given me some words for those churches. And uh, I can't wait to see what God's going to do. Amen? James chapter 3. Let's jump into this word for this house, beginning with verse 1. Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to pay attention to that because if you're here, I've already begun uh, the preparation work for chapter 5. And uh, he changes his tone between chapter 3 and chapter 5. So I want you to pay attention. This is the third time that James has addressed us as dear brothers and sisters. But he gets a little more adamant toward his address to us by the time we get to uh, chapter 5. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church. Stop right there. Not many of you should become teachers in the church. And he's going to tell you why. For we who teach will be judged more strictly. So before you want to jump into microphone holding, make sure you understand there's a judgment that you're held to a higher standard. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. Somebody say amen. For if we could control our tongues, <laughs> oh, Lord, help us. 
We're already, we're already praying in tongues to help or control our tongues. We would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. That's a big statement. He said you could get all of you under control if you could just get this thing under control. Verse 3, we can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting the entire body. My God in heaven. It can set your whole life on fire. For it is set on fire by what? It don't say that. This is the Bible. It don't cuss in church. Does it really say that your tongue is set on fire by hell itself? Verse 7, people can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish. I used to have a fish that was trained. You say, you can't train a fish. Yes, you can. I had a fish in my office at the old church years and years ago, and all the little boys would come in every Sunday morning and feed my fish because you could hold food outside the water. It would jump out of the water, take the food out of your, out of your hand, and then go back into the water, and the little boys just got a kick out of it. They just loved it. Jared and all his friends would come in every Sunday morning and feed Shamgar and um, yeah, I, I named him a Bible name of a person you've never heard of. And, uh, but, but you can, it's, it, people can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Well, tell us how you really feel, James. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water babble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be salty. Uh, <laughs> now look at your other neighbor and say, don't you either. Hmm? Now... Now, I know that this is not going to be a problem for any of you because you're all emotionally healthy and filled with the Spirit. You never get frustrated or agitated or angry. But just think, if you know somebody like this, and you can take notes and go and tell them, this is what the pastor talked about. I don't have this problem, but you should read these notes about holding your tongue. This morning's message is really going to be good for those folks. Amen. And the longer I thought about it this week, I kind of know a guy like that who uh, gets a little bit frustrated and a little emotional and a little bit angry and his mouth engages before his brain does. That's not your problem. I'm just testifying up here. This morning's passage has a very simple truth. People who have faith in Jesus should speak differently than those who don't. I got about three amens out of this whole room. Yeah, I thought that might be the ratio this morning. Can I tell you that the world has changed a lot? It, it, it's changed a lot, and, and I'm not necessarily saying that it's for the good or the bad. I'm just saying it's different. Uh, and let me tell you what I mean by that. Kids today have some, let's just call them activities of the mouth that just would not have went over well when I was a child. 
And I'm sure the case could be made as you as well. Back then, back then, when I was a kid, there was a lot of emphasis not on what we should say, but all the words that we wasn't supposed to say. I still remember the first time I had my mouth washed out with soap. Actually, I, I need to correct that. I still remember the first time I was forced to wash my own mouth out with soap. My third grade teacher made me do it in front of the class with ivory soap. Can you imagine a teacher doing that today? I can still remember every single time that my lips met the back side of my father's hand because I had said something that I shouldn't have said to somebody that I shouldn't, was not supposed to say it to. Today, CPS would show up at the house. Back then, it was just told correction. So, so I remember a lot of these things when I was growing up about don't say that. I can remember my mother and father taking me to visit their friends. Does anybody remember that? Boy, wasn't that fun. When you was a little kid and you were took to somebody else's house where there's none of your toys to play with and none of your things to entertain yourself with, and you were drugged there, held captive for several hours while they played cards or did some adult things, and the last instruction out of the car was, you sit there, you be quiet, and don't embarrass me. And I can guarantee that if I did break any of those commandments, oh, I was not going to get punished then. Oh, no, no, they stored up all of that. And when I got home, I had to fake like I was asleep before the car pulled into the driveway or else suffer the consequences of my actions. And to be honest with you, it really didn't take much for me to embarrass my parents when we were at their friend's house. Normally it just took me saying anything, making myself noticed in any way, or doing anything besides sit in the corner and suck my thumb. Words were taught to me as a child as something of great importance. We're supposed to mind what we say. Don't say that. Always say, when somebody gives you something, you should always say, thank you. Kids today don't know that. Kids today are saying, can I have another one? Or it's about time. They don't know the gratitude of saying thank you. So James, James is not going to give us a list of dirty words we're not supposed to say as Christians. Although, I've seen some of your Facebook pages. Maybe we should provide that. He's not going to tell us that when you get saved, you're not supposed to say these words. But rather, he's going to show us this principle. A controlled tongue is evidence of a changed heart. Okay, so the world we live in is constantly seeking to get us emotionally escalated and trying to get us to engage in all kinds of conflict and unhealthy behaviors. So how, as a Christian, am I supposed to handle it when the world is on fire and trying to get me to throw gas on the flames? And as we jump into James chapter 3, we encounter something that we're going to encounter the rest of the time that we're in the book of James. That word is stewardship. Now, I know what you're thinking. We didn't talk about offering. But you have to understand that Jesus talked about stewardship. 25% of everything Jesus said in the Gospels was about stewardship. But it's not all about money. Now, God gives you money. And what's he expect you to do with it? That's called stewardship. But he also gives you time. And what's he expect you to do with it? That's called stewardship. 
He gives you resources. He gives you relationships. He blesses you in any way, and he expects you to do something with it. That's called stewardship. And James is teaching us here, you've got some words in your mouth. You need to invest them wisely and use them to build up the kingdom. That's called stewardship. They say that the average person speaks about one million words a year. Brothers, look right here at me. Don't you look at your wives. Don't you get in trouble. That's a long car ride home if you do the wrong thing right now. They say that we speak about one million words a year. That averages out to about 86 or 87 million words over the course of your lifetime. Now, this study was done in 1984. I don't know if you've noticed it, but since then, there's been an invention called the Internet. And there's been this other invention called Wi-Fi and cell phones. So we are now communicating at an even higher level than we ever have before. So you and I need to know as Christians how to best steward our words. Amen? So as you think about all the words that you send out, you think about all the things that God has given you, when you say words, how many of them can you actually say are showcasing the heart and the mind of God? Have you ever said, I know you haven't because you're holy, but have you ever heard somebody else say, I'm about to give them a piece of my mind? Well, number one, if you got something that's really small, you shouldn't be giving pieces of it away because then you don't have anything left. <laughs> but number two, before you give them a piece of your mind, remember that you are an ambassador of Christ. And really what we're supposed to be giving away is a piece of his mind. We're supposed to be showcasing what his words say. Amen? So the first thing that James is going to teach us is that your tongue wants to be your master. You're in a struggle with this thing between your teeth. And nowhere in these 12 verses is James going to give us the instructions on how to fix it. Thanks, James. All he does is tell us that it's full of deadly poison. It's like a fire set on from hell. I mean, he gives us all kinds of instructions about the tongue, but he never tells us how to tame it. You know why? Because James knows that sometimes giving you a list of instructions won't help you. What he really wants to do is he really wants to show you what a mouth looks like when you don't take care of it. Have you ever been to a dentist office? I want to show you a picture uh, that you might see in a dentist office. Same mouth. One is before the owner started taking care of it. The, the after picture is after they started taking care of it. What James is doing with this book is trying to teach you what your mouth looks like when you don't take care of it. When you let it rule you, you look like, the, you, you look like somebody that don't have control over their mouth. So, so we can measure maturity of a Christian by what they say. I'm going to say that again. We can measure maturity not by how many scriptures you quote, but how you use your mouth. Pastor, I don't believe that. That's because you haven't read your Bible. Because in 1 Corinthians, Paul said, when I was a child, I talked like a child. But when I became a man... I put away childish things. 
He said, when I was a child, I did things like a child. I played like a child. I acted like a child. I reacted like a child. I talked, spoke like a child. But when I became a man, I grew up, and I stopped doing those things. So you, Christian, as we get into this message this morning, evaluate yourself. How are you doing? What level of maturity do you think you are versus what your mouth says you are? He gives us three warnings about how to recklessly use our mouths. The first thing, we're going to go through all three of them, and the first one's going to take the longest. The first thing is, if you recklessly use your mouth, your words will cost you. Did you hear what he said in, in, in the, first ver, uh, the first couple of verses? Those who teach will be held to a higher standard. I'm going to be perfectly transparent with you this morning. This is a convicting text for me. Because I teach on a regular basis. And what this Bible tells me is that as a teacher, you are judged more strictly because what you are teaching impacts more people. I'm not just talking to a couple of kids and a wife. I'm talking to a room full of people. And whether I want to believe it or understand it or not, my words carry weight. When you're in the role of a preacher or a teacher, your words carry an impact in other people's lives. And by the way, I'm not going to let you off the hook because I know some of you don't hold microphones and teach, but you are all teachers. Hello? Parents. How many of you have figured out by now parenting is nothing but teaching? Amen? All you're doing, you're not just trying to get them to survive. I mean, that's one goal. It's good when they all show up at 18 and they're still alive. It is. And some days, let's be honest, it's like Lord of the Flies in that room. It, it, you're, you're really just hoping they all make it out alive. I mean, you come out, your hair is up, you know, part of it's this way and part of it's this way, and you're about to pull out what you got left, and you haven't slept in three days. And you walk out, and you shut the door behind you, and you're like, I really hope they all make it. But right now, Mama just needs a break and a cup of coffee. Okay. So... so, so being a parent is nothing but being a teacher. Why? Because the words you say is teaching them. Some, some parents, you haven't figured it out yet, but you will. You have little disciples sitting in the back seat of your car. And when you are telling those other drivers all about their skills, and you're operating in your horn ministry, don't be surprised if from the back seat, an echo of what you have said. Am I the only one who the first time my mother's voice came out of my mouth, I was like, where'd that come from? Like, I can remember being correcting my children, and instead of my voice, it was my mom's voice, and it was something I said that I would never say to my children. When my mama said it to me, I said, I'll never treat my kids like that. And then one day, I treated my kids like that. What happened? Why did that happen? Because you are teaching. What you are saying over other people's lives is getting into them. And one day, one day it's going to come out. How do we know that? Matthew chapter 12, verse 36 and 37. Jesus said, I'll tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word that you speak. The words you say will either acquit, acquit you or condemn you. That's pretty heavy. And you hear people say all the time, only God can judge me. That's not true. That's not true because really you can judge yourself. 
And Paul tells us in the New Testament that it's real beneficial if we will judge ourselves. Because if we judge ourselves, we won't get judged later on. And it is real healthy for you to come to church on Sunday and not just uh, get excited about what's going on, but to evaluate yourself. And as the Word comes washing over you, to use that Word as a mirror instead of holding it up to everybody else, hold it up to yourself and say, how am I doing in this situation and in this present moment? Amen? So the words that we speak are either doing one of two things. According to this scripture uh, in James and what Jesus confirms, we're either pulling heaven down or we're pulling hell up. With the words... Are you kidding me? Words are just words. Don't you remember, that, uh, don't you remember, Pastor? Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never. Yeah, the devil is a lie. <laughs> Let's be honest. We are living in a broken, flawed, horrible, head-on collision world right now. And everybody is yelling at everybody. And nobody is ministering to anybody. And nobody's listening to anybody. And everybody are using words to engage, provoke, and make anybody hurt that they can. And the reason this is important is because you resolve conflicts in the atmosphere of your home. So I'm going to teach you in church, but you're going to take this lesson home with you. And what you do with your emotions comes out on the people you love the most. It's not just the boss at work who's a jerk. It's, it's not just the neighbor across the way who won't keep their dog off your lawn. The people that really, really get the brunt of your words are the people you love and care about the most. Do you realize that they tell us that there's two kinds of people in the world that we have nicknames for? Just two. People you love, and you give them a nickname that, that is kind of fun, and, and, and you both share in a laugh, and, and, and it's, a, it's a term of endearment. And then there's the people you try to shame, and you give them a nickname to hurt them and to show how displeased you are with them. And some of you are married, and you've got both nicknames for your spouse. Depending on how you are feeling that day, you call them boogaboo, or you, something that I can't say in church today. And when you have children and you have grandchildren, this becomes very important because, listen to me, you are setting the atmosphere for generational curses that will show up later on down the line because you are speaking things into their life and they are picking up on what you are saying and they are doing things and exhibiting things that they did not learn. I know you want to blame the kids in public school. I know you want to blame the teachers, but they picked that mess up at the house. And they, years later, it will come spewing out of them because you cursed them. Pastor, I ain't never cussed my kids. I didn't say you cussed them. There's a difference in cussing and cursing. And some of you, I'd rather hear you cuss than the curses that you have put on your children. Because some of you are operating today, can I just be real with you? Some of you are operating today with low self-esteem because of a curse that a mother or a grandparent or a father put on you. They said something like, you ain't never going to be nothing. You won't never get straight. You are nothing. Yeah, I don't, We don't even know why we had you. And you don't feel loved because they said, we didn't expect to have you. I battled this my entire life because I wasn't wanted and I was told I wasn't wanted over and over repeatedly as I was growing up. I've struggled to receive love my whole life because I was cursed 
cursed as a child and told that I wasn't expected or wanted or needed around. And by the way, they showed me that same thing. Some of you are sitting under the sound of my voice today and you don't know how to receive real affection from people because all the affection was yelled at you. It wasn't affection. It was cursing from the other room and, and it was always discipline. And you never got any real love and, and, and all you got done was beat down and browbeat and you were told that your grades weren't good enough, your, 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 uh, uh, the, your behavior was never good enough, and so there's curses placed on your life. Why is that important and why am I taking time on a Sunday morning to tell you this? Let me tell you how this happens practically. If I ask you what you're doing here on Sundays, some of you are going to say, well, I come to worship. Or some of you are going to say, well, I come to serve and I'm glad you serve. Some of you can say, well, I need the fellowship. I need to be around Christians, and I'm glad. All of those things are great reasons to come to church. But it's not the main reason you come to church. The main reason you are here is because all week long, you have been out there receiving curses from people. And the world has been dumping curses on your life. And when you come into this room, you need somebody to speak the, the opposite over your life and to speak life onto you and to speak blessing to you and to tell you what God thinks about you because you've got enough mess dumped on you. You need to hear what thus saith the Lord about you. So when you show up here, I don't just open my Bible up and tell you a little story about who Noah was. I pray over these words. I labor over these messages because I want you to receive exactly what God wants you to know because you have got too many demonic prophecies over your life and I need to give you a godly word to cancel that thing out. So here's the challenge of a pastor who's trying to relate God's word to his people. Most of you sitting here this morning and anybody watching online would accept the responsibility that you do say things that you shouldn't say. Every married person ought to have their hand up. How about this? If you have a boss, can you be a little too snarky sometimes? Uh-huh. How about criticizing your spouse? How about, how about being a little bit too negative at the red light? But very few of us would describe it like this. When I open my mouth, I spew flames of fire. Pastor, that's a little bit too dramatic. That's a little over the top. I beg to differ. James says your tongue is set on fire from hell. Do you want to know how I know this to be true? If I passed around this microphone this morning, almost every person in this room could tell us something that somebody said to you, and it might be 30, 40 years ago. Somebody said something to you that you can remember where you were, what clothes you had on, what house you were in, and it negatively impacted you, and it still affects you today. But if I ask you to tell me the last time somebody built you up, affirmed you, made you feel good about yourself, you'd have to think about it. You could recall negative words spoken over your life Quick, fast, and in a hurry. But if I ask you to tell me when the last time somebody made you feel good about yourself was, it would take a minute. You can't remember where you laid your keys. You can't remember where you set your soda down. But you can remember what your grandmommy said to you when you was three years old and you were being bad. You can remember her saying, that's bad. And you're, you, all you ever do is cause trouble around here. You still remember that. You don't remember where you parked your car the last time you went to Walmart. You had to walk through the parking lot pushing a button 
listening for the one chirping back at you, but you remember those negative words spoken over your life. I can still remember in third grade. One group was in the floor reading, and our group was sitting in chairs, and somebody, somebody threw a crayon and hit a little girl in the head. And it wasn't me. I'm 48 years old. That teacher's probably dead by now. I ain't got nothing to be afraid of, I'm telling you. By the mercy and grace of God, it wasn't me. But that teacher would not take my word for it. Out of every kid in that class, now please understand, I probably gave this woman reason <laughs> to pick me out of that class, but out of every kid in that class, she said I did it. And it, no matter how many times I denied it, that teacher would pull me up in front of the class and publicly shame me and call me a liar in front of the class. She punished, not me, she punished the whole class until, and I quote, until Albert tells the truth. So when the other class went to recess, we had to sit with our heads down. I remember they were making St. Patrick's Day crafts, and we didn't get to. We had to sit with our heads down. And every 30 minutes or so, she would call me up from the class, make the whole class look at me, and say, confess, and I'll let them go to recess. You are causing all of them to miss recess. I know you're lying. It's what you do. Now, 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 hear me. Finally, I confessed. Not because I did it, but because she shamed me into it. So the other kids would stop hating me for what she was doing to me. And can I tell you, to this day, standing in this room, I can still feel the shame of what that woman said about me in front of that classroom full of kids that I don't even know who was in that class, but I know every word she said to me. And I can still feel the emotions of what she did to me that day. And, and I'm not saying that it's her fault, but I will tell you this. Going forward, I used to get violent if somebody called me a liar. If somebody called me a liar to my face, I would punch him in the mouth and ask for forgiveness later. And I'm not saying it's her fault, but what I am saying, it made an impact on me. It changed me. I no longer appreciated it more than anything else in the world. I used to get in more fights over somebody saying the word liar to me than anything else. So when you say sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, you obviously never had that teacher. Because I'm telling you that what she said to me that day in front of that class and the shame she put on me, it did hurt. So if I ask you what the most shameful, hurtful thing that somebody has ever said to you, you wouldn't have to think long. But you would have to think long and hard about when somebody built you up and made you feel strong about yourself. So that's what James is telling us. He says if you can get control of your tongue, you can have control of every area of your life. And the other side of this revelation is how easy it is for you to remember the hurtful things other people have said to us, but how tough it is to remember how you are hard and hurtful to other people. See, when I tell you the story about that teacher... I tell you the story, and she was a terrible person. But when I hurt somebody else with my words, I don't frame myself like that. You know what I do? I blame them. Why are you so sensitive? Oh, here's my favorite. Suck it up, buttercup. So, so, when, so when I say the words that that woman spoke to me, she's a terrible person. But when I say something that hurts somebody else, instead of me taking responsibility for what came out of my mouth, I place the responsibility on you and say you shouldn't be so sensitive. It's quiet in this mortuary this morning. 
You know I'm telling the truth. So, so this is why we don't like to accept this message and agree with how powerful our words are because it means that we are actually responsible for things that we've been blaming other folks for. The second thing that James teaches us is our words direct our world. Your reality today has been greatly impacted by the words that you have spoken. And if you don't believe that, let's dive into what James says. <laughs> he says in verse 3, you need to tame the horsepower in your mouth. He said, if you put bits in the mouth of horses, they will obey you. I was in Arizona many, many years ago, and we went to a rodeo. And if you ever go to a rodeo, they've got this event called barrel racing. It's amazing. I was a little boy. I was amazed by it. You know why? Because there's like a 98-pound human sitting on the back of a 1,000-pound horse, and they can make them horses do, do like moonwalk. They, they, can, they can run at wide open speeds and stop on a dime and dance around these barrels and jump over objects. And there's this little girl. She was, she was not much bigger than me. She couldn't have weighed 100 pounds soaking wet, and she could control that horse. And you know what made it possible? A bit in its mouth. I've got two dogs at the house. All I can teach them to do is shed and lick. I can't get them to do nothing. This little girl had these horses jumping over stuff and stopping and moonwalk. How do you make a horse moonwalk? You put a bit in her mouth. The second thing James tells us is, don't let the winds be in control of your direction. Verse 4, he said, a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. So let me give you a couple of tips, okay? You do not have to attend every disagreement you're invited to. There are certain people that you are not going to be able to have healthy conversations with. I'm giving you permission this morning to keep your mouth shut. I know, oh, and by the way, let me give you more permission to keep your fingers off the keyboard. Because in this generation, the words we say don't often come out here. They come and we're communicating more than ever, but we're not really minding what we're saying. You need to be able to look somebody in the eye and say, Hey, I love you, but what you are doing is causing me to have high blood pressure. And frankly, I just like to slap a taste out of your mouth most often. I'm going to have to disagree with you, and can we agree to disagree? And if not, maybe we should just cut this line of communication off because every time I leave you, I leave you with a very distinct feeling that I should take a ball bat and crush your skull in. And I don't think Jesus likes that. So we're going to have to part ways if you can't just, it, listen, you're gossiping. You need to go to them and bring your gossiping spirit and tongue to the Lord and then go to that person because I don't want to hear what you're saying about them. It's none of my business what you think about them. It, you're, you're criticizing your boss. You're criticizing your spouse. You're criticizing the pastor. It's none of my business what you want to say about them. You need to go talk to them about those things. But I cannot com continue this line of communication. Sometimes it's it's just good for you to unfollow some stuff. If there, if there is uh, particular news outlets or things that cause you stress in your life, why are you constantly going back to the thing that's getting you worked up and you're talking about it all day long? Now, let, me, let me tell you what happened in, Ge in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve were mostly adults. 
I'll give you the PG version. Two adults, no clothes, one job. Make babies. They literally had one job. Go and reproduce. God told them, go, be free. And a snake shows up in a tree and wants to talk. See, it always gets, we always get in trouble when we start having conversations. Snake shows up in a tree and says, hey, I want to talk to you. I got something I'd like to share. You know what they should have done? Nope, sorry. We're going to Texas Roadhouse. We got date night. I'm going to get some rolls and some honey butter. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed, we ain't got no clothes on, so we're going to go this way because you're weird. You're a talking snake, and that's not normal with feet and stuff, and this something, something's off here. Why didn't their radar go off? Because it has been chaos for mankind ever since they had one conversation caused all of this mess that you and I are going through today. All because they couldn't walk away from a conversation. And you do the same thing today. Why do you keep talking to the devil? Why, why, why do you have that conversation? Why do you choose to give up your peace? Well, I've got to tell them what's right. No, you don't. I promise you, I've learned the gift of goodbye. And it is a great gift. I'm at the point in my life where if you are convinced that 2 plus 2 is 95, howdy doody, I'm glad to know you. You stay in your stupidity, I got nothing for you. I'm not arguing with you anymore. I'm done. It, it's fruitless. It involves me getting down to your level. And the old saying is, don't ever wrestle a pig in the mud because the pig enjoys it and you end up dirty. So as a horse, it has tremendous power and it has to be harnessed. A ship has tremendous power and it needs to be directed. And in both occasions, if you don't get the power under control, people end up hurt. And that's what he says about your tongue. Verse 5, he said, in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a grand, great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. Its whole world of wickedness corrupted the entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire yourself. I'm going to give you another instruction. You ready for this? Don't be a spiritual arsonist. Don't be a spiritual arson. When I was a little boy, I'm going to show you a picture, see if you remember. You remember this cartoon character? You remember when I was a little boy? Only you can prevent forest fire. Remember that? Smokey Bear, you remember that? He was preaching and didn't know it. <laughs> yeah, he said, only you can prevent forest fires. That's what James just said. Only you can prevent your whole world catching on fire. Because he said, this thing in your mouth can set the whole world that you have, all the contacts, all the people that you are attached to, all the people that you influence, you can set them all on fire with this little spirit, this little, this little arsonist you got in your mouth. This is what a wildfire looks like. This, this is what a wildfire looks like. Thousands of homes every year, especially out west in California and places like that that you don't care about. Um, they, <laughs> thousands of homes are burned down. Tens of thousands of acres are burned down every year because of wildfires. Very seldom do they ever find out what starts one. Do you all know why? Because when the fire is large, 
what started it is small. Some wildfires are so big that you can actually see them from space. A fire that is so large that it can be detected from space, but they don't know what started it because what started it was a small thing. Every one of you knows what it feels like for a conversation that started over something small and turned into something huge. When you go back and try to remember after weeks and weeks of all this mess and the whole family's involved, the whole church is involved, the whole community is involved, the whole school is involved, and you're like, what started this? You can't even remember it. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You don't even remember what started it because what started it was something so Small, but it became so large that you could pick up on it from heaven. So small that nobody sees it, but it moves fast. You got a tongue in your mouth, every one of you. It's full of deadly poison, James said. Pastor, I don't believe that. Really? How many times have you ever gossiped about somebody? You know what you were doing? You would not dare take a hammer and bash their skull in but you are assassinating their character you wouldn't kill them in the flesh but you are killing their 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 reputation by gossip gossip is telling news that's not yours to tell some of us have a lying tongue and you just say things that aren't true and by the way that's become more and more prevalent since social media became such a big thing because we will share something that sounds right and later on find out it wasn't as right as they said it was. But by then it is spread all over everywhere and everybody assumes it's right because somebody took the time to make a meme out of it. Uh, some of us have the tongue of false witness. Hey, did you hear what so-and-so said? Well, that's not exactly what they said. You took it out of context. You're just trying to make them look bad and throw shade on them. Some of you have deadly poison in your mouth because you like to flirt with people you're not married to. Oh, it got quiet all of a sudden. Where'd my whole amen committee go to? Yeah, yeah, what are you doing flirting with somebody you're not married to? Well, it's harmless. No, it's not. It's hellish. The Bible says that you've got the flames of fire in your mouth. How about threatening people, intimidating people, demanding, yelling, raising your voice? I have a problem. Listen, I have a problem. I got a problem because I'm very animated. My oldest daughter is just like me. Bless her heart. She got the same issue I do. And I, I don't mean to be as intimidating as I am, but see, I, I will talk to you in the hallway like I'm talking to you right now. And I'm not angry, but I sound angry. <laughs> I'm in a good mood, but my face don't look like it's in a good mood. And my voice don't sound like it's in a good mood. And people feel like I'm threatening and intimidating, and I really don't want you to feel that way. But I can't walk around like this all the time. I have a problem. I, I, I have a problem because my words seem harsh, and I don't mean them to be. I, I want to be a teddy bear. I don't know why God made me a grizzly bear. I can't figure it out. Somehow, somewhere when God was putting the order in, somebody got a wire crossed, teddy grizzly. I don't know what happened. I, but I, I try, I really do, I, I try, but I have to really think hard about how to talk to people. So lately I've been coming up to people just standing there and now I look raw. Because I'm trying to process what it is I'm about to say, because I'm trying to say it in the kindest, gentlest, most loving manner I can, because if I just come out and say, hey, 
They're like, so, so this thing in my mouth is causing me problems. Other people, other people have the problem of false teaching. Can I tell you, just because you saw it on Facebook doesn't mean Jesus said it. So please, please, it might sound good to you, but false teachers are everywhere. It's really popular, by the way, right now. I, I'm afraid that we are in the midst of a generational apostasy. Because we know less about the Bible, but we want to be more spiritual than ever before. So we're just sharing stuff all over the Internet that may or may not be true. So, so what he says is this, your tongue can just set people on fire. We could just bring death and destruction and decay and demonic. And some of you, some of you, your parents set your family on fire. Some of you, your grandparents did it. Some of you, your siblings did it. And now you've become the arsonist. And now you're setting the family on fire because you're just repeating the same things that you heard them say. Can I ask you a question? Who wins in a wildfire? Nobody. Nobody. We all get burned. So James says, watch your tongue. So, he had the example of his older brother, Jesus. Jesus is hanging on the cross, dying for our sins, and what are the people doing? Mocking him, using their tongues against him. If you're really the Son of God, why don't you get down off that cross? If you're really who you said you were, you could, you could surely get yourself. You saved others, but you can't save yourself. Do you remember that? They were literally using their tongues to unleash hell on Jesus. You know what Jesus did in retaliation? He gave them heaven. While they were giving him hell... He gave them heaven. He says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So every time somebody gives you hell, doesn't mean you got to give it back. Because as a child of God, you have a choice to make. Uh, true or false, you've said words that have changed your life. Oh, okay, some of you don't believe me. If you've ever stood in front of a preacher, a justice of the peace, or a judge, and said, I do, did that change your life? Oh, it sure did. How about when you went to the doctor and the doctor said, you're pregnant? Did that change your life? Oh, yeah. You didn't even want a minivan. You don't like minivans. Now you're on a car lot asking for minivans. Because those words changed your life. Uh-huh. How about a boss coming in? A boss can come in and say, you got your promotion, and that'll change your life. Or they can come in and say, your position has been eliminated. And that'll change your life in a totally different direction. Words that say things like, I'm sorry, and you're standing outside of an ER, we did everything we could do, that changes your life. Words have power, and you will remember some of them till you go on to glory. Number three, and I'll get out of your way, our words expose us. Listen to what, listen what James says in verse 7. People can tame all kinds of animals. Birds, reptiles, and fish. But no one can tame the tongue. He says it's full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises the Lord and then turns right around and talks about people that are made in His image. And that should not be so. He says people can tame all kinds. It's really weird what people will take as pets. One time I went to Cabela's and there was an old man and an old woman getting out of an RV and they had... They're pets on leashes with harnesses. And some of you are thinking, oh, they probably had dogs. Or somebody else would think, oh, they probably had cats. And you would both be as wrong as two left shoes. They were walking iguanas. 
And I don't mean iguanas that you would have in a cage. I'm talking about these things were Jurassic Park iguanas. They were as big as a Volkswagen Beetle. They were huge. And they were walking them into the rocks out in front of Cabela's so they could use the bathroom. I said, you have potty trained iguanas? What world is this where you are walking them through the parking lot on a leash with a harness and they are potty trained? Are you kidding me? When I was a little kid, my grandparents had, had a farm and they had mules and horses and goats and sheep and, and, and cows and, and chickens. So I grew up around all them. But I personally, in my, in my house, I, I, had, I had rabbits. And more than one time, my McDowell County roots about to show, more than one time I had squirrels in my house. And I don't mean like, you know, uninvited guests like a mouse. <laughs> I mean, we cut down a tree and the nest was in there, and we would take the baby squirrels home, and the squirrels become a pet. It would go out like a dog, come back, scratch on the door, come back in, sleep on the back of the couch. I used to have a flying squirrel named Alvin who would sleep in bed with me. He would get out of his cage at night, run into my bedroom, climb under the covers. I guess he was cold. And when he got ready for me to get up, he would run up and down me. And wake me up. I, I, so we've had some weird, weird animals in my life. Um, during the pandemic, Netflix had a show uh, about a guy with a mullet who was raising tigers. And it was really popular, and I didn't watch it because I don't know anything about tigers, but I know a lot about mullets. And, and more importantly, I know a lot about the people who wear mullets. And if there's a mullet involved, there's going to be some unnecessary chances being made and some poor decisions. And if you put a guy with a mullet in charge of some tigers, it ain't going to end well. So I didn't even bother to watch it because I just figured he's from the south with a mullet. He don't have no business raising tigers. But, but what James says here is, your tongue can never be tamed. That's not very encouraging, but it's truth. He says, your tongue, so how many of you have ever tried? You remember when your mama used to say, bite your tongue? Listen, I have tried so hard sometimes that I felt like I was going to chew that thing off. Like, being married as long as I have, I, I'm surprised that me and her both don't just have calluses all over our tongues. Okay, so, but the problem is, the Bible says it's restless evil full of deadly poison. In other words, it stings people. It sets people on fire. It poisons them. It curses them. And then he asks a question in verse 11. Does a spring of water bubble up with both fresh and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. And he says you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. So all these are communicating the same thing. What's out there should not control what's in here. So if I bump this, what comes out? Why does water come out? Because water's in it, and it's the only option. I can't bump this and get monkeys. I can't bump this and get bacon and eggs. Water's the only option that's going to come out because it's the only thing in there. So if the world bumps you, and grouchiness comes up. What was in you? If you get bumped and anger comes out of you. If you get bumped and bitterness comes out of you. If you get bumped and fear comes out of you. Why does it come out of you? Because it was the only option. 
Why, that, that tongue is connected to that heart, and what is inside of you is coming out of you. If anxiety comes out of you, if, if uh, lack of self-control comes out of you, guess what? It's not their fault. James says it's the fault of this thing between your teeth. And what he says is we need to be consistent with what comes out of this. Jesus and his disciples was in the temple, and they got hungry, and they went out in the field and they got some grain and they were eating it. And the Pharisees saw what they did and they said, Haven't you heard of COVID? We got hand sanitizer right there. Your disciples didn't even wash their greasy, grimy, grubby hands before they ate. And Jesus says this in Matthew, to response to them, Matthew 15 and 11. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You're defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. And some of you still don't believe that you got a problem, so let me just frame it like this, and I'm going to get out of your way. Imagine, who do I see up there? Imagine old Chuck up there. Imagine he was able at that booth to hack into your phone and display everything right here. All the texts that you have sent, all the DMs, all the posts that you have liked, all the pictures you have taken. Imagine if we were able to just hack into it. He can't. Don't worry. Some of y'all are going on your phone deleting stuff right now. I see y'all. Oh, my God. I hope it's not me. <laughs> Calm down. He, he's not that good. <laughs> but imagine, imagine if we hacked into it and we displayed everything up here, you would feel exposed. Because your words expose you. And the reason you would feel exposed is because that would be the first time that many of you have ever truly been vulnerable. Because you put on a face. But your words betray how you really feel. Some of your relatives and friends and your pastor would be shocked to see what you have up here. Because... The way we think you feel about us would be exposed to the truth, perhaps for the first time ever. Because most times today, what we say doesn't always line up with how we feel. That's why James says, no one can tame the tongue. You need the Holy Ghost to help you. If I could get the music to come. You, uh, some of you are going to say things like, well, pastor, that's just who I am. You know, I'm Italian. What does that even mean? I've heard people say things like that. Well, you know. So-and-so, they're, they're just, they're, they're, they're hot-blooded, they're, they're Irish. What, like you go to Ireland, it's just a bunch of people fist-fighting in the streets, throwing each other through pane glass windows, like everybody in Ireland just knocks down drag-outs every day, all day? You're condemning an entire nation of people because you can't get yourself under control. Oh, that's just how us Mitchums are. Well, that's because your bloodline hadn't met Jesus yet. And you need, your, you, need, you need your bloodline to run into the bloodline of Jesus Christ 
Yeah, your genetics need to meet Jesus because he changes things. The Bible says that you are no longer who you used to be once you become a, a disciple of Jesus. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You are a new creature. You're not a rewired version of the old one. You became something that never existed before when you said yes to this man. So what does a tame tongue sound like? Well, I'm glad you asked. It sounds like, I'm sorry. That was my fault. I should not have said that. You know what it doesn't sound like? I'm sorry you took it that way. That's an apology that's not an apology. That's an apology that's putting the blame on the person because they heard you wrong. A tame tongue says, I'm going to pray for you. A tame tongue says, what I said is not how I feel. I'm sorry I said it, and I won't say it again. A tame tongue says, I forgive you. I'm not going to hold it against you. We're not ever going to talk about this again. Not, I'm going to come back every 15 minutes and beat you up with it some more. A, a, a tame tongue says, you know what? God wants me to treat you better than this. So that's what I'm going to do. A, a tame tongue looks at your children and says, you can do anything. Because my God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can imagine and even think. A tame tongue looks at your spouse and says, we can make it. We can do this together because us two and God is a majority and we can, we can survive anything. A tame tongue, a tame tongue looks at, looks at a, a mess and says, you know what? God does his best work right in the middle of stuff just like this. And, and, and there ain't no need in us going around and, and finding sympathizers to, to, to tell this story to. No, no, no. All we need to do is tell King Jesus and expect him to do great things and just switch the switch to him and just let Jesus be who he is. A tame tongue looks at a person and says, I've let it go. You don't owe me anything. I have forgiven you. We don't need to talk about it anymore. A tame tongue... A tame tongue says, you're my hero. I believe in you. You can do this. You used to be an addict. You're not an addict. God's got better plans for you than this. You used to be, you used to be in uh, uh, loose relationships. God's got better plans for you, and you're going to start walking in the favor and the admonition and the fear of your God. You're going to do better than this because I believe in you. That's what a tame tongue sounds like. A tame tongue stops repeating what hell says and starts repeating what heaven declares. And that's what we're going to do today, and that's how we're going to end our, our message. I've got a couple of scriptures I'm going to share with you. Uh, all because I want you to start repeating what heaven says. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I will bless the Lord. I'm not going to complain anymore. I'm not going to get bitter anymore. I'm not going to be jealous anymore. I'm not going to tell you about yourself anymore. I'm going to bless the Lord. The next time somebody is bumping on my bumper and laying on the horn, I'm going to bless the Lord. I know some of y'all think that's a stretch, but I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get you there. I'm trying to get you there. The next time somebody cuts you off in traffic, instead of laying into your horn ministry, say, I will bless the Lord at all times, even these times, even times like this. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Psalms 107 and 20 says, listen to this. 
says, he sent his word and healed them. I want you to start repeating what heaven says and see, say he uh, healing words. Say healing words over your marriage. When you talk to your spouse, speak healing words. Don't, don't tell them how, how bad they are or what they've done. Speak healing words over your children. Speak healing words over your own mind. I can do this because I'm made in the image and likeness of God. The fear and admonition of the Lord lives inside of me. I'm better than this. I've made some mistakes, but I'm going to get my feet headed in the right direction. You start speaking healing words over your, your job. Listen, instead of complaining about your job, go in and say, Jesus is going to rule in this place today, and we're about to have a Holy Ghost revival. If they don't do something with me and move me out of this department, we're just going to have a Holy Ghost infusion in here. Speak healing words over what you're going through. And last but not least, Psalms 47 and 5. It says, if you want to get God's attention, if you want to get God moving on your behalf, He moves when you shout. He don't move because you cry. He don't move because you came to church. He moves when you shout. Because when you shout, you're showing him that you believe that he's already done what you've asked him for. And you are claiming victory before the victory shows up. And you are by faith declaring that this thing is already done because you know in whom you have believed. And you are trusting that he is going to bring you to his expected end. See, when you shout, God stands up off of his throne and says, I'm about to move. And here's the good thing. Hell, you think because what you hear coming out of your mouth is your voice, but hell don't hear your voice. Hell hears God stand up. And they say, uh-oh, shut it down, boys. They're about to get God off his throne. You better, you better get them to quit shouting because if they don't quit shouting God's going to come down and heal them God's going to come down and bless them God's going to come down and set the captive free I wish I had a shouter in this church Job's wife said Job won't you curse God and die and Job says wait a minute if I can curse God and die then I can bless God and live because the power of life and death is in this thing not in my wife not in the devil but what I repeat is about to happen so I want you to stand to your feet this morning we're not going to dismiss we're going to praise the Lord I've asked them to get some songs prepared and we're just going to praise our way uh, out of the sanctuary however however long that you choose to stay in worship you stay in worship but I just I want you to start singing some praise and here's the thing while you start shouting praises you got to know that God is doing something. God is moving. He's hearing your shout, and he's standing up and getting ready to act on your behalf. This is not just something we're about to do. This, this, is a, this is the climax of what I'm training you to use your tongue to quit repeating what hell says and start speaking over your life. I'm healed. I'm blessed. I have the favor of the Lord on my life, and so does my children. And from a generations to generations, we can do this thing. That the church is going to be triumphant and full of glory. That revival is coming to the land. That we're not finished because the devil don't have the last say. My God has the last say. And until he says it's done, it's not done. And in the name of Jesus, we're going to declare his goodness in the land of the living. Somebody, on the count of three, I want you to give the Lord a shout of praise. Can you do that? One, two, get ready. Three. Jesus, your name is power. It's breath and 